Well, it's good to be with you all again, even if it's virtually, because we continue in this series that we've called Disrupting Chaos. You know, all of us obviously have all been talking about what an interesting time we're all living in right now. And when people historically talk about major shifts happening in society, the people who write about these things and discuss them, they'll sometimes use language like this. They'll, they'll talk about there being an old world, the way things used to operate. It's like how we worked, how we bought things, how we sold things, how we did church, how we worshiped, even like how we greeted one another. Just the way that life functioned. There was a way that we were used to. And that's the old world. And then they'll talk about there being a new world, a, a way of life that's going to become our new normal, that for our kids' kids, it will just be all that they know. And, and we don't really know what that all looks like because we're not there yet. We're, we're living in this in-between time. We're in the time between the old world and the new world. And what they'll often call that period of in-between time is chaos. And, and you and I right now, uh, our cities, our state, our country, and, and all around the world, we're collectively in this period of chaos. But, but chaos isn't just something that happens and is happening on a big global scale. It, it's also happening to each of us individually in different ways all the time. You're experiencing chaos when you have a life that feels overly busy and hurried and stressful. When you have those times where life just feels overwhelming, it's chaos. And chaos is those moments when you just can't seem to focus. And it's chaos when you're reacting in ways that don't match the reality of the situation, that it's like your kid does a small thing and you just blow up. That's, that's chaos. The problem is that chaos has become a normal experience. And so, yeah, it's, it's a global experience right now. But even if we weren't going through all this, the reality is that you and I, we'd still be experiencing chaos because of the way that we've been engaging in life. And so what we've been doing is we're spending some time in Matthew 6, and in the last couple of paragraphs of Matthew 6, and it's from this sermon that Jesus gives where he teaches about a kingdom kind of life that we're all called to. And this kind of life, it actually cuts through and disrupts the chaos that's become so normalized in our lives. Here's the words that we want to look at today from Matthew 6. He says, Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They, they don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow's thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. It's from Matthew 6, 28-32. Now, I, I want to spend some time, though, trying to understand what's behind what Jesus is saying here. Because he's actually saying something that's incredibly significant and incredibly powerful. It's incredibly relevant. It's incredibly tangible. It means something for us today. But we have to get to a little bit of like what's behind those words before we can start to get at how is it relevant and what does it mean for us? Because what Jesus is actually doing here is he's actually challenging some of the fundamental ways in which we view the world. 
And, and so to maybe better understand his words that he's saying here and the, the impact that they actually have, we, we need to spend some time understanding something else in order to get there. Maybe something like French fries. Now, my wife, her name's Allison, and when Allison and I first began dating, there were some things that I was willing to change and adapt about myself because I liked her and, and I really wanted to date her. But one of my non-negotiables always has been, I, I don't share my French fries. And, and it's not because I don't love my wife, it, it's because I really like my French fries. And so I began to learn something pretty early on in our relationship. What would happen is we would get ready to order at a place like, like In-N-Out, and Allison would say, I, I don't want any fries. And so we would order, and we wouldn't order her any fries. And then we'd sit down to have our meal, and do you know what she had the audacity to do? She would lean over, and she would take a couple of my French fries. And when she would lean over and take one, I, I was like, whoa, 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 like, what are you doing? Well, I just want one or two. No, no, no. You said you don't want any. Well, yeah, but it, it's really like I don't want many because I can't eat a whole one by myself. Now, I, I don't know what they call that where you're from, but we call that lying. Yeah, you can't eat a whole one yourself, but I can eat a whole one myself and you're taken away from that. And Allison and I have found ourselves a few times in places like In-N-Out having a fight about french fries because she just wants a few and I don't want to give any up and here's why I don't want to give any up because when I look down at my french fry container what I see that's there that's all that there is and when it's empty there's no more I have a limited supply of french fries and so when she comes and she takes some of my french fries what she's actually doing is she's draining my limited resources that that's all that's there and pretty soon they'll be gone, and she's contributed to taking from it. But all the while, what I fail to recognize is that there are plenty more French fries where these came from. But because I'd become so focused on my limited supply, because I was so focused on my fries running out, what I missed is that there's a whole kitchen full of French fries. In fact, in my pocket, I have the $2 that it would cost me to go get more French fries. But because I was so focused on the little bit that's right in front of me, what I missed is the abundance of french fries that were available to me. And so as a result of my over-focus on what was right in front of me and the little bit that I had left, what I did is I acted out of fear and I acted out of greed towards my wife. It caused me to be skeptical of her and skeptical of her motives and it created tension between us. And it was all because I was focused on what's right there in front of me and that it would run out. And in this way that I viewed French fries, it, it's actually what one biblical scholar named Walter Brueggemann, it's what he has said is one of the major narratives running throughout the Bible. He said that there's this narrative throughout the scriptures, throughout the Old and New Testament, where there's this conflict and tension between two different ways of viewing the world, two different worldviews that are clashing. There's this one view, this one narrative, this one story, that's the story of abundance. And the story of abundance says there's plenty of French fries. In fact, there is this God who has French fries that you know not of, and he's able to give them to you in abundance. But there's this other story, and it's a story of scarcity. 
And the story of scarcity says the French fries that are there in front of me, that's all that there are. And when they run out, they're out. That's all there's going to be. And so you got to hold on to what you can. And he says that what you find throughout the story of the scriptures is this tension between people who recognize that God is a God of abundance and these people who are trying to live in that story of abundance. And yet at the same time, the culture telling the story of scarcity, the culture training people in the story of scarcity and people buying into the story of scarcity. And every time people buy into it, what you find is that the God of abundance is constantly trying to move them out of it, constantly reminding them that he's a God of abundance. And you see this throughout the scriptures. I see it especially in the stories of Jesus. Think, for instance, of the first miracle Jesus performs. He's, he's at this wedding and the wine has run out. And they're all upset because there's no more wine. But what they have in front of them, that must be all that there is. But... Jesus doesn't live in that story of scarcity, but instead out of God's abundance. And so he takes barrels of water and he turns them into an abundance of wine. Because what they see in front of them, that's not all that there is. What they see in front of him, that, that's not his story. Uh, or, or there's this other time. He's out teaching and, and thousands of people have gathered to hear him teach. And they've traveled from all over to hear him teach. And, and it's been a long day. He's been teaching a long time. They've all gone these long distances and now they're hungry. And the disciples look at the crowds and they say, we, we have nothing to feed them. In other words, when we look at what we have in front of us, there's nothing. They're living out of this story of scarcity. But Jesus, who understands a different story, he says, well, you find them something to eat. And so they find this boy who has five loaves and he's got two fish. And this boy willingly gives up his food. Now, this is all the food that this kid has with him. And nobody else has any food. And so for him to give up this food, it, it means he has nothing left. It, it means that he's in the same predicament as everyone else. But what story is he living in? He, he doesn't have the need to hold on to the little that he has. And so Jesus, Jesus takes that bread and he takes those fish and he turns it into more than enough for everyone. In, in fact, he produces an abundance. Twelve basketfuls are left over. And in that moment, the disciples and the crowds and that little boy, they got to experience the God of abundance. And the reason that they got to experience it is because of that little boy, because he doesn't give in to the story of scarcity and he doesn't act selfishly. And he trusted what he had to the God of abundance. And, and we can look at story after story, instance after instance, all throughout the scriptures, where these two radically different ways of looking at the world are coming into collision. And we would see, if we looked at story after story, we'd see the chaos that's experienced when the story of scarcity becomes what's normal. The chaos that people live in when the story of scarcity is what's invading their lives and becomes the lens that they live through. But we'd also see the story of what God is actually like. We would see over and over what he's capable of doing in instance after instance we would watch the clash of the story of scarcity and the story of abundance and God constantly calling his people to live in abundance. And this, this, my friends, this, this has all kinds of implications on us. I, like if you live like what's in front of me is all that I have, if I live like that, if I live like I'm going to run out and, and there's no more, well, then what am I going to do? I'm going to spend my time consumed with how little I have. 
I'm going to constantly be thinking about how do I get more. I'm, I'm going to be holding tightly onto it. I'm going to turn inward. I'm going to notice those who have some, and I'm going to be thinking about how I can get what they have, and I'm going to like look at them through the lens of how I use them. I don't know. I don't know for you what the stay-at-home order has been like for you. I don't. I don't know what all the implications are for you, but I can tell you that this for us, for our family, well, we experienced about an eighty percent loss of income pretty quickly. And my immediate reaction it was fear. It was to hunker down. It was to hold tightly onto what we have, to look at what was right in front of us as if that was all that there was. And so I lived with this posture that said, we're going to run out and we've got to tighten our grip and hold on to this. And I turned inward. And I got to tell you that I didn't like what it was doing to me. I, I didn't like the way that it caused me to look at people and treat others. I didn't like the anxiety it was creating within me. I didn't like the way I was constantly checking and rechecking our bank accounts and going over the numbers again and again, trying to figure things out. The way that I was obsessing over stuff that was causing me to to miss being fully present with my family. I, I didn't like how it caused me to turn inward and to miss loving and caring for my neighbors and, and, and looking out for my community and looking outside of myself. And I got to tell you, I was missing peace and joy and life. And, and what had happened was the chaos of the external situation that I couldn't control created an internal chaos within me that I could actually control. And I could control the internal chaos inside of me by what story I was choosing to live in. And I'd been living in the story of scarcity. Rather than trusting in the abundance of a good God, rather than trusting in the provision of the abundance of that good God. And friends, the the story of scarcity, it's a trap. But it's a story that's being played out all around us. It's being played out constantly on the news and it's being played out by politicians. It doesn't take long to scroll through your social media feed and to find friends who are posting things that are playing out the story of scarcity because it's the most natural story that our culture knows how to live in. Which is why, by the way, in Matthew 6, Jesus says the pagans run after these things. Now, pagans wasn't a derogatory term. It was just this shorthand way of him saying that the, it's these people who live like there's no God. They live like what's in front of them is all that there is, because that's the story that they know. And so when Jesus speaks these words in Matthew 6, he, he isn't just talking about food, and he's not just talking about clothes. Those are just examples or illustrations. He's talking about the way in which we view the world. Do you live as if what's right in front of you is all that there is? He's asking us, do you, do you live like you're going to run out of it and like you've got to hold on to it? Or, or do you live as if there's this God who has the ability to never let that run out? Jesus is asking you and I, what, what story dictates your life? Are you allowing the cultural story of scarcity to become your st- story? Or, or do you live in the trusting provision of your heavenly father who is a good, good father? Not only is he good, he's able to provide, and he's a God of abundance. And so Jesus is asking us with these words in Matthew 6, he's asking us, what story are you going to live in? In fact, let's hear those words of Jesus again from Matthew 6. 
He says, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. (laughs) Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow's thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you have little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after those things and your heavenly father, your heavenly father knows what you need. This God has such an abundance that he would even clothe the lilies of the field. I mean, it's this act of extravagance. It's extra. He doesn't have to do that. I mean, if he was a God of scarcity, if that was his story, he would only do what was necessary. He would make flowers perform their necessary function and not do anything more than that because they don't need to do more than that. But God is a God of abundance and abundance always acts out of extravagance. And so to live in that story, it, it, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when you were a kid and maybe you were lucky enough to have times to go to the store with your parents where they would buy you something. And if you experienced that and they bought you something, it probably never crossed your mind whether there was enough money for it or not. You, you didn't even consider it. You were able as a kid to live in the freedom. Hopefully you were able to experience this, to live in the freedom of not letting worry control your life. Because whether you realize it or not, you were trusting in the abundance of your parents. And so Jesus, in these words, he's reminding us of that. And he's, he's not chastising you for having worry, but what he's doing is he's reminding you. He's saying, the pagans live that way. Those who don't know the story of God, they live that way. Those who only know the story of scarcity, they live that way. The ones who go into the store and have to worry about it, the ones who look at their fries and say it's going to run out, they live that way. But you, you don't have to live that way. Because you recognize the good, good Father who is a God of abundance. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do this week. To to remind you of this. To remind you to live in the story of scarcity. and not in the, Or to remind you to live in the story of abundance and not in the story of scarcity. I want to encourage you to commit to a time every day where you would cease working. Whatever work means for you in your specific situation. And so whether that's right now sitting in front of a computer doing emails and video conferencing, or if that's being the teacher for your kids in your home, or or maybe it's the regular rearranging of your finances and constantly looking for ways to bring in income or, or new income. And whatever work means and looks like for you right now, what if there is a time, specific time every day that you commit to cease it? And even a day during the week where you commit to cease it. And what you do when you cease it is you are leaving things undone until the next day. As a simple, small way of reminding yourself that the story of scarcity, the story that says I have to keep doing more, I have to keep holding on to more, I have to keep providing for more because that's all that there is. It's this small way of reminding ourselves that God is a God of abundance and he can provide and he will provide. Because your heavenly father knows what you need. And so I can sit in contentment and I can sit and rest because I trust in the provision of a good heavenly father who acts out of abundance. And maybe, maybe even as you decide to shut down for the day where you leave things undone, maybe you use that as an opportunity to pray the disrupting chaos prayer 
that we're all praying together each day right now. And really, it's a prayer that's based on Jesus' words in Matthew 6 that we're looking at throughout this series. In fact, I want to even ask, as we close out our time together right now, I want to ask if you would pray this with me. If you'd pray with me out loud where you are, in your living rooms or dens or bedrooms, wherever it is that you happen to be right now, would you pray this with me? And so we pray, God, help me to trust that you're a good God who cares for me and will provide. Show me where my worry and preoccupation are taking away from my engagement with life. I surrender each of those areas into your trust and care. And today, I'm choosing to believe that I'm sustained not by my efforts or by what's in my control, but instead by your abundance. You're a good God who gives abundantly. And because of that, I'll seek first a life under your care and I'll trust you for the outcomes. In this moment, I lay down the concerns I have about tomorrow and the days and weeks after that. I'll trust you for today, for this moment, so that I can wake up tomorrow and then trust you for that day as well. Amen and amen. Grace and peace to you, my friends, as you live in and trust in the good God of abundance. May that be the story that you orient your lives to.